Recorded live. Good morning. What a great day to connect with one another. Mm. I uh, admittedly slept in a little bit and uh, woke up about a half hour ago and, you know, did my morning prayer, stretched a little bit, tried to pull it together. So I'm <laughs> so I'm allowing this to be my um, morning meditation. Uh, let's see. I see that we have four practitioners on the line. I know that Jennifer's here. I know that Mark's here. I know that Brandon's here. And is it Ellie, Martha, or Soki on the line? Martha. Hey, Martha. Hello. Uh, hello, hello. Okay. Well, let's begin. And I think in honor of... Um, oh, there's Ellie. Okay. Um... In honor of the Women's March in D.C., which is happening now, which I was, uh, I admit, I got online so I could see the footage and stuff from that, which I find to be terribly exciting. Um, In honor of the Women's March in D.C. and all the other awesome marches happening around the world, uh, I hear there's, uh, maybe I read it, maybe it's 60 sister marches or, anyways. we just lost somebody. I think Martha just fell off. Um, I was going to have the uh, ladies lead us in our opening blessing today. So, um, Jennifer, why don't you begin? And then you can hand it to L.E. And I think Martha just fell off the call. But, L.E., after you're done, you can hand it to Martha. And if she's not here, or Soki's not here, we'll just conclude there. And Myself and Brandon and Mark will support you, ladies, in the blessing. So, Jennifer, whenever you're ready, you can begin. Yeah. God, we're so grateful to be together as a community, to be sharing our experiences and supporting one another in knowing on a deeper level God and truth. We're so grateful to... uh, have been led to this moment and to be able to hear the voice that's guiding us. We're so uh, grateful for another day and for a chance for our voices to be heard in this world. I'm so grateful to uh, be in a community and in a and in a place where our we can speak out against what we don't like and we can participate actively in the building of what we do want. And I hand it to Ellie. And we offer up any fear-based thoughts, insecurities, a worry, a concern of how our future is going to unfold and know that everything that is happening right now in our present lives, in this call, in... um, the future in our um, dealings with situations that might be conflicting, that every single thing that is happening in our lives is has a divine consciousness to it and that you are um, accessible just by our thoughts aligning with 
the light. And that energy is invoked in every single one of us. And we have the ability to change any fear or concern into complete certainty of knowing that we are aligned in your spirit and with God. Martha, why you go? I'm sorry, my phone got disconnected, so... We're just doing a... The women are doing our opening blessing, and so Jennifer went and Ellie went, and we're going to hand it to you. Um, I'm like... Can I pass? Is that okay? Sure, Martha. And so why don't we all just take a deep breath in, hold it in, allow this love to permeate and circulate around our heart center through our lungs, and exhale, and we release any blocks that might prevent us from being fully present. Just being present here, let's just take a moment to just close our eyes, clear our mind, and create the intention to simply hear the guidance of God, to just be in God. And taking a deep breath in. Let's stretch up. Mm. And one more time. Exhale. Ah. And in gratitude, with our hearts and minds open, we joyfully go forward. Mm. Yes. Well, I'm happy to be here with everybody today. And... Uh, why don't we just do a quick, uh, like, 30-second check-in, just let everyone uh, just say hi and uh, just 
sort of just let everybody know uh, a quick what's going on, and we'll um, be current with each other, and then we'll continue with class. So, Jennifer, why don't you begin? Yes, um, having a wonderful week. I'm experiencing amazing abundance at my place of work, and just like basking in it, just enjoying every second of it. I love that. I love that you're allowing yourself to really enjoy it. That's beautiful. Gorgeous. Mark. Hey, um, I am I am well. I've been in um, an exponential amount of practice this week, um, which has been Uplifting, um, and uh, also just want to acknowledge Jesse what um, what an amazing job you did with, with the other uh, night. I just really wanted you to hear like you did such a great job, and it was such an amazing experience. Um, so kudos to you, and thank you for showing up and pulling that together. Yes, thank you, thank you, and um, thank you for attending. It was really a beautiful thing. I really loved being able to hear everybody's perspective and um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, Brandon, you were there in spirit. How are you feeling? Brandon, honey, I'm not sure if you're on mute, but I can't hear you if you're talking. Hi. Hi. Sorry, my phone was stuck in my pocket in the part of it with the head, like little cord. At the end of it was like lodged into a hole in my vest pocket. And that has been my greatest <laughs> challenge of 2017. <laughs> well, I um, think that that's a good sign that it's going to be an easy, easy, breezy year then. <laughs> Honey, you're kind of cutting in and out. I'm not sure what the solution is there. Nothing. No one knows what's wrong with me, oh. and so I don't even know what it is anymore. But um, I just show up when I can, <laughs> and don't show up when I can, um, and try to like. I've been trying to like deal with a lot of guilt around not being able to show up to like things like work or even the rally. And then it's weird today because it's like normally I would have been the person, you know, at the women's march, like gathering all my friends. And I'm just like, so not there. Um, everyone was walking around my office yesterday. Like there was a death, um, which I completely understand. But at the same time, Still today, Donald Trump is not my higher power. So it's like I'm just in a I'm just in like in an in between place, um, doing in between things. That's all right. In the in the in between, there's a there's a book there. I know it. <laughs> Ellie. Hi everybody. 
going on? I don't got much. Just I'm just working really crazy hours right now, 12, 14 hours a day on on the show, and um, should be done sometime in February. And I can't wait to have <laughs> some sort of life again. But uh, I'm grateful for the uh, the experience that I um, is just priceless, amazing. So. Cool. Great. And Martha? Um, Better. Uh, I haven't spoken in the class um, the last two weeks, but it was kind of rough, like, at the end of December for me, and I've just been really kind of disconnected as far as with the media and just Facebook or even my emails. I just, it, it just felt very, very overwhelming. So I couldn't even, like, probably just a couple of seconds and had to turn it off. So I've just really been focusing in the beginning of this year to just um, nothing else other than just make meditation my priority. And um, it's been helping. I've had some days of feeling peaceful, but I'm still really, really sensitive. Um, And I'm not quite sure exactly everything of it is, but I think it's just, um, got to a point that I was overwhelmed here at home and felt I didn't have an outlet. But my house is almost finished, thank God. So I'm hoping to move in sometime in February. And um, But just, I think the whole connection with, um, in meditation for me, because I've gotten several messages in regards that I needed to do that, needed to do that, and would do it sometimes and not be consistent. And um, so that's, pretty much it. I mean, I feel better, but I'm still, like, super, super sensitive, and like I said, I don't even know where it comes from, so I really don't know everything that's going out socially, because I'm not watching much of anything, um, and just focusing on being at peace with myself, and starting from there. But I'm good. <laughs> that's all. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing, yeah. You know, it's really... um. I really love hearing your share, Martha, because it sounds like you're you're taking care of yourself. And sometimes we don't have to know why something's unfolding, but we can be present with it. And whatever we need to know will be revealed to us. And I think that you taking care of yourself in that way is very, um, very, is an indication of the, of the level of self-care that you're practicing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been there too. I've been, I've had, I've had experiences and periods in my life where I just feel very super sensitive, like energetically, and very like uh, I, I would usually describe it as feeling very raw, you know. But I can. What I'll suggest, Martha, to you is, you know, instead, uh, you know, always just be in acceptance, and I think you're doing a good job of that. Just accept that you're feeling that way, and then, in your meditation. I'd really suggest that you um, see if you can find a place in the body that you feel the sensation that you're experiencing. So often for me, if I feel raw or really sensitive or emotional, it's in my chest. And uh, I think that's part of the reason why I used to be a smoker. Like I really loved smoking because it helped me numb that sensation in my chest a bit <clears throat> and uh, but then when I started to sort of become I, I got 
courageous enough to be curious about that experience, I would breathe into it and I would speak, I would go to that place in my body and I would sort of go and create a dialogue with it and be like, okay, so I know where you're there. I would send breath to that area of the body. I'd breathe into that area of the body. I'd pay attention to it. And then I'd sort of ask it like, how can I, what is it that you're here to teach me? How can I be of service? How can I help? And it was really helpful when I would do that. So um, I don't know if that's of any help to you, but maybe it's something that you could um, try out if it feels if it feels helpful. You know, if you can find out like where is is there any sensation in the body? Where is it? Breathe into it. And you can even you can even say, and I'll repeat this to everyone on the call because this is such a helpful. Um, this has helped me so much is when I ask my higher power, um, God, angels, guides, Holy Spirit, my um, I am presence, if I knew the questions to ask, what would they be? So in essence, if I knew the questions to ask to support me in healing, what would they be? Because maybe I don't know them and maybe I'm not asking them. So if I knew them, what would they be? And uh, that can be so helpful because my experience is that the questions always, always uh, come to the surface of my conscious mind. And then I ask them, and then, and then what's great is when I ask the questions, the answer is revealed. So a little food for thought. Thank you for sharing. Thanks, everyone, for checking in. So I'd like to continue the conversation that we began last week about spiritual counseling and um and we talked we talked last week about environment like how can we create a safe physical space for someone to come into and let's review that really quickly so what are some of the elements available uh what are some of the elements we should we should be mindful of when creating the atmosphere or environment to have somebody in the space and physically in the space. A clean, decluttered area with Kleenex. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> you got it. And why is it important to have a clean, decluttered area with Kleenex? To avoid distraction, make a person feel safe, and so that they feel like they have everything they need where they're seated um, mm. to fully express themselves. Great, yeah. What other item did we talk about having available? Water. Yeah, a glass of water. Uh-huh. Yeah. And why do you think it's important to have a glass of water? Actually, I think you said specifically spring water. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's important uh, just so that people, you know, have somewhere to go to, you know, drink that water when they're in a moment of thought or just to, just to feel comfortable and taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, you know, water is very 
uh, nurturing. It can be very nurturing. So after um, a session, a lot of people will like some water because they've done a lot of processing work. Also, you know, it's one of those distractor factors. So like, you know, if someone's really thirsty, they can start thinking about how thirsty they are instead of being present in the moment. So if we can have water available, that's great. Tea is also, you can also have tea available. I would say herbal tea, something that's calming, something that helps people, you know, settle any nerves that could be, so they can just be present. Great. So we have a clean, inviting space, clear of clutter, and we have Kleenex within hands reach. You see, we have a trash basket that they can see where they can put the Kleenex, and we have spring water available for the session. So you're creating a good space. What about... um, Incense or sage burning? No, because they could be allergic. Very good. Yeah, yeah. So if you're going to burn sage or anything like that, make sure you do it before the session and make sure that the room is free of any smoke uh, and any strong scents before you begin. Even with that, even with that in consideration, what about wearing, why would you be mindful about wearing certain colognes, perfumes, or scented oils? For the same reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People get distracted. Um, I'll tell you, Every retreat that I've ever done, I always get at least one email from someone that says, can you please ask that people, uh, you know, be very mindful about wearing perfume or cologne because I'm allergic to it. And so it's sort of a, when I worked at Soul Cycle, that was actually a rule of a good neighbor conduct is you don't wear perfume to class. Because, you know, again, we do our very best to create, you know, uh, to re- get rid of any sort of distractions that would prevent people from being fully present to the experience. Okay, so you have a <clears throat> you have a beautiful um, uh, space now. Now, sometimes um, let's have a conversation about sort of the integrity, time integrity specifically, and um, something that you know. We, we teach people right away how we are going to be treated, right? We're always teaching people how to treat us and how to um, – the value of our time together. So um, if you've ever taken like Landmark or LifeSpring or something similar to that, one of those self-empowerment, you know um, – uh, programs, right off the bat, they teach you immediately about time integrity because if you are, they will close the doors at the start time and they will not let you in until after they've begun. And they make it clear, they almost have this moment. I, I can't remember if Landmark does it, but I know LifeSpring does it, where they're, they'll talk about, they'll thank everybody for arriving on time, you know, they'll you know, they'll, they'll go over some basic stuff and then they pretty much say, okay, we're going to let the people in now that couldn't make it here on time. And then they open the doors. And so everybody 
<laughs> it's very clear who wasn't practicing time integrity. And I remember <clears throat> this experience I had. Uh, it was at LiveSpring, and I um, I knew because I had done Landmark before. I knew that they were like really into like the time integrity thing, and so I uh, <laughs> so I got there right off. I was running late because I was um, uh, at the time I was I was doing a personal personal chefing thing for these this family in Beverly Hills that just had millions of dollars and they were paying me so much money. But I, I was really committed to doing this program. So I had my colleague who I really trusted um, filling in for me for the, for a dinner they were doing. And, um, but I went there beforehand to make sure that everything was taken care of, that everything was in place. Da, 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 da. And then I uh, was going to beeline it down to the thing. And so of course, there was traffic. Of course, there was like heinous, awful traffic, and I was off by like a half an hour. So <clears throat> what I did was I got I, I got that if I didn't have to worry about parking, I could beeline it to the room and get there right at the start time. So I <clears throat> parked my car at 7-Eleven. Right, that was next door to the hotel, so I didn't have to worry about parking. And I beelined it to the room, and I got in there right at 7 o'clock, and I sat down. And I was there, and I was like, I made it. That is so great. And then what I did is I snuck out like three minutes later so I could use, uh, so I could go move my car. But I just wanted to be there on time. And so I moved my car, and I came back, and they wouldn't let me in. They would make me wait. And I said, actually, I was in there. I made it on time. I kept, you know, I kept my word. And the woman who was in like this power suit and, um, and, uh, you know, and again, like so many of my pivotal learning moments, it was an African-American woman in an awesome power suit that was listening to me. And she was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, let's have a walk. And she walked me and she said, how often in your life are you just, are you just making it? Are you, are you doing technically what needs to be done so you can say that you did it? You know what I mean? So like, and I was so irritated at her, but it sunk in and it was like, you know what? You are so right. Like there's so often that I do exactly what's asked, but never anymore because I'm always overwhelming myself with too much work. And so I do a lot of work, but it's all surface level work. And it's never to the extent that I would like to be. Like I'd like to offer really high quality work, no matter what it is that I do. You know, if I'm going to invest in something, I'd love to really invest in it instead of just doing the requirements to get by. Because what depth is there to that? You know what I mean? And then I looked at all the other programs that I participated in that, I, that were fine, but I didn't get a lot out of. But it's because I just did the minimal amount of requirements asked of me. I never really went for it. And that really stuck with me because I saw how I had designed my life to where I was in a constant state of overwhelm, to where I couldn't ever really invest in one thing. But that kind of kept me safe because if I couldn't really invest in one thing, then I couldn't really fail at one thing. You know what I mean? And, um, 
And I just, I became so comfortable in being overwhelmed with all of the responsibilities that I would take on that I wasn't able to fully appreciate or saturate myself in the gifts that were being offered to me, you know? And so that was a real pivotal moment. And it was because this woman, you know, valued the program and valued my involvement in the program enough to say something to me, you know what I mean? To actually say, no, you know what? This is what was required. You agreed to this and I'm going to hold you to it. And all of the reasons and excuses that I would find that would prevent me, you know, that made sense to me that I've used my entire life, you know, you can't tell me what to do. I don't know who you think you are, you know, all this, like, I had, you know, you don't know me. I would had, I had this work responsibility to da, 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 da. It all came to the surface to me. And, uh, and I was so grateful that she was unwavering in the stance that she took in that moment. So, but she also taught me something very important. She taught me that she wasn't fucking around. And she taught me, too, that I was not special, that my excuse was no more valid or better than anyone else's excuse. And if I was going to play that game, then I was going to wait. You know, I was going to wait and I was going to miss the valuable information they were giving in the beginning because I chose to, you know, not give myself enough time to, to get there. So everybody else in that room did, but I didn't. And so I, I, I got that there was something really valuable here. And if I wanted to truly get all of um, everything they were offering, that I had to be on time. I had to give myself even more time to get there. And do you think that I was late again at all during that experience? No. So with, when you are um, creating space, when you are making time uh, to meet with people, and this doesn't have to just be about spiritual counseling, your counseling, this can be about any element in your life, you know, you're really valuable and you deserve to be treated as such. And so uh, one way when we are in context of spiritual counseling, when we create a time um, when we create an appointment for somebody, you have to get clear with yourself on, you know, what are the um, parameters in which I create, I hold a space for spiritual counseling. So when is, what, what time is too late? Like when does the, when does the um, session get canceled, you know? And, uh, you know, is it, if they're 15 minutes late, do we then, cancel the session? Um, when do you end? Do you end on time every time? Or, you know, Reverend Jennifer was much more flexible on the end time than she was with the start time. Because sometimes she didn't feel as though the session was, they didn't reach the point in the session that she felt that they could reach. And so she allowed them to go over. But she did that consciously. You know, that was her decision to allow that to happen. You know what I mean? So, she didn't feel out of integrity with it because she, what she was invested in was the healing of the client. And if she didn't feel as though they had reached the place of healing, then it wasn't going to, um, then it wasn't going to, uh, she wasn't going to end. You know what I mean? So she felt intuitively into it. 
but the start time, she was very much, you know, she was very much uh, in. And, you know, to be honest, I think initially what she would do is she would ha- she would give them one time to really be, you know, whatever. And then she would, uh, she would explain to them before they met, you know, sort of um, the parameters of expectation. You know, I start at this time. If you're this amount late, then we cancel. If not, then, you know, and, and – uh, but you – you don't get a refund. There's a 24-hour cancellation policy, you know, all of this stuff. And then uh, if you were late one time past that thing, she would meet with you, but she would explain to you. She'd point it out and explain to you and then see, you know, if she could, un, you know, reveal why they were late at that time. And then after that, she would, it would always be a cancellation. And I took that on. So 15 minutes was my cancellation point, And there was no refund for the... Um, for the session because I was there. I was on time. I committed to the process. My time is valuable. I appreciate myself and I appreciate the uh, service that I provide. And, um, and we have to teach people how to treat us. You know, we teach people how to treat us. So if you are constantly letting people off the hook for being late and you see them anyway and all that stuff, what are we teaching them? Circles open. That is not important. Yeah. My time's not that valuable, you know. And from the perspective of the counselor, why do you think you would let someone sort of act without integrity? What do you think one of the reasons is that you would let someone act without integrity? Because I myself want to be out of integrity. Yeah, I mean, that's one. I I, I think that's more of a subconscious thing that would be revealed during the experience. Yeah, for sure. I'm thinking this is actually, I should lead this a little bit better. This is around finance. Why do you think you would let someone constantly get away with not being on time or whatever, being out of integrity? Go ahead, someone. I think you spoke, but you were, you cut out. Because you're dependent on the financial part of it or the fear of them not liking you kind of thing? Exactly, yeah. If you believe that your client is the source of your good, then you, that is the grounds to develop such a codependent relationship with someone, right? If you refuse to draw a line, a clear and respectable line, because you're afraid that they won't come back or that they won't like you or that they're going to take their money away and you're not going to be able to pay your bills, yada, 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 then you are just absolutely creating, you know, uh, a, what A Course in Miracles would call a special relationship. So um, who is your source? God. Yes. And what are we teaching our clients about who their source is? Who is there? Who are? Who are? Who is our client source? The same. 
yeah, God, right? And so if God is your source, is your good dependent upon one client? Nope. No. So if you truly believe that, if you are in integrity with the principles and the law that you're sharing with your client, should you ever be unwavering in your in your uh, in the loving container you created? Well, I think like you said, I mean, not, you said ever, so I would think like you mentioned Jennifer, you know, she allowed it the first time but explained it or, you know, communicated mm-hmm. to the client what is expected, mm-hmm. that it's not okay, and it wouldn't be accepted again kind of deal. Right. Now, what if you have a client that is always on time but calls you and says, you know, there's an accident I'm running, I'll probably be running 20 minutes behind schedule. I apologize. What do you say in that situation? It's, well, there's, I, no, there's no difference. I would be okay I, with considering that the client had always been on time, and there is circumstances sometimes, but if it's, it's a continuous thing, then then that's not okay. Yeah, exactly. I think that you always stay present. You always, you know, you have to check in with yourself to feel, you know, does this feel okay? But are you obligated in that situation to go to extend past the time that you've allotted for that session? No. No, of course you're not. So you say that's absolutely fine, uh, but... Uh, you know, the session ha- does have to end by 2 p.m., as we agreed upon originally, you know. Unless, of course, you feel organically that there's more to say, but you may have back-to-back clients, and so, you know, that needs to be respected. The integrity of the session needs to be respected. Now, what a lot of people, a lot of people are so resistant to, to creating those kind of um, sort of those parameters, those very clear boundaries and parameters. However, we're talking about creating a safe environment for the client. So why would having clear preset boundaries uh, support your client in feeling safe? Why does that make them feel safe? Even if it means you might say, I'm not seeing you today and you you know, but I'm still going to charge you for the session. Having a clear set of, you know, rules to operate by has everybody knowing what's expected and, you know, in knowing what the rules are, people feel safe in playing by them. Yeah, Absolutely. Jennifer once said to me, and it always stuck with me, and it's, it's how I aspire to uh, parent. And she said, you know, children crave discipline. You know, they really feel so much safer in a home that has um, loving discipline implemented into, you know, the parenting. 
because they know uh, it helps them um, it helps them feel secure and safe, and also it helps them trust the parent. And you know, we create these boundaries not to punish people, but to support them in moving through whatever it is they're moving through. Now, if someone is chronically late, always flaking out, always canceling, all that stuff, and, they, um, and they're not ready to change that, then they're going to find that your restrictions very confronting. But what's more loving, to allow them to stay in the you know, experience of constantly being late, always canceling, never fully getting the, the full benefit of the experiences that they, are, they claim to be interested in, or, you know, telling them, you know, inviting them to shift that behavior so they can be more present to their life. But you have to be willing. Mark said this. this Mark said this once in a, a workshop I took of his, and it's always stuck with me. I always thought it was so brilliant. You know, you have to be willing to be fired. You know, you've got to be willing to be fired or you're not really doing a good job. <laughs> Meaning, you have to be willing to say what you genuinely feel needs to be said in order, you know, uh, in order to be a fully, you know, effective employee. But the same goes with being a counselor. You have to be willing to stand in pristine integrity if you're going to really offer the full, uh, give your client the full benefit of your, of your time. And when you create that clear container, you know, you have a solid structure to fill with that healing experience of your session. I really, truly believe that this is the most effective way to create, you know, the boundaries for your counseling sessions. But it's, you know, a great way to uh, create boundaries in your life as well, you know, to if you, you know, we allow, like I said before, we're always teaching people how to treat us, you know. And um, obviously in life there's a certain level of fluidity and flexibility and we're always in a constant, you know, space of evolution and change. And so we're always looking at, you know, where am I being unflexible? Where am I holding on to something? Where am I in judgment and opinion? But you know, when you truly love yourself and you create um, and you create uh, a container from that space, it's felt and it's felt as being loving. And you know, um, I was talking about this actually this this week with uh, Mark Anthony Lord, and he was saying how um, you know this is a great example. And then we'll uh, we'll actually take a little break and then we'll go into all of our work. But, um, you know, he was creating the uh, Community First program, which is what we're starting to integrate into Inspire, which is the small groups. And there's certain levels of um, organization that goes along with it. We have home group leaders, which are people that lead the home groups. And then you have leader champions, and they take care of the home group leaders. And then you have the director that takes care of the leader champions. So... He, uh, there was one person in the uh, there was one person in the uh, 
that he wanted to be a leader champion in the community. And he just knew this person would be an awesome leader champion. And he was a professional, but he traveled a lot with his work. And he thought, he goes, okay, well, I'm going to be a little more flexible with this guy because he travels a lot. He made it very clear that he has a work schedule, but I would just love for him to be, you know, um, a leader champion. So he made an exception for him. And then he made another exception. And then there's more work travel. And then he was never really available to do what he said that he, he, that he would commit to do. And so he, he said he started to really bend over backwards to make sure that this guy could, could be a leader champion because he really wanted to be a leader champion. And then the guy comes into his office and, you know, it was always about he didn't have the time. He didn't have the, uh, enough time to do this volunteer work. And he really wanted to do it and he really valued everything that they were doing, but he just didn't have the time. And then Mark said that he, he came into his office and he quit because he said, not because, you know, he couldn't live up to uh, the, the volunteer stuff, but because he was um, doing the Landmark Forum and he was really inspired by it and he really wanted to give it his all. And the thing that he was doing required 20 hours of volunteer work a month. He was doing some sort of advanced training program or something like that. And so suddenly he had all the time in the world to commit to the landmark forum, but Mark Anthony said, oh, he understood in that moment that the landmark forum held such a high standard of commitment because that's what they required and that's where that guy wanted to be. He wanted to be at that level of integrity and he wanted to be in a program that demanded that kind of commitment and that level of integrity, unwaveringly so. There was no and ifs or buts about it. This is if you want to do this, this is what you're committing to, end of story. And so he got that, you know, the Landmark Forum valued their program and their practices so much that they weren't going to, um, that they just made it very clear, if you want to do it, you're going to do this. And we believe that this and this and this one fold for you. And I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And I'm so grateful that he uh, that he said that because I know my personal journey, I'll, I'll share with you all, especially like in the beginning stages of Inspire and the beginning stages of the practitioner program and all this stuff, I've been very flexible, you know, um, with the requirements because, you know, I wanted people to have the experience of going through it. I wanted everyone to be able to work with where they were at and stuff like that. But what ha- tends to happen sometimes is, there's this theory called the 2080 where 20% of the people do all the work and 80% of the people sort of just enjoy, you know, the participation where 20% of the people are doing all the volunteer work, all of this, all putting all the money into it and all that stuff. So 20% of the people are carrying the entire community. And, uh, and I started noticing that sort of trend, you know, within a lot of the stuff I was doing to inspire, but I'm interested in empowering everyone. And if people are really interested in, you know, the sort of the personal evolution that can unfold through committing to the, pro- the process and the practice, then they'll step up. But I can't be afraid to allow people to step away if they're not, if they can't commit, you know, or if they're not ready to do that. But I also know in the other way that if you make, if we create clear boundaries and structure and have uh, are very clear about the requirements, and because we know what the commitment, the fruit that the commitment offers, you know, we know what can unfold if someone steps up to that high kind of integrity. Then you shouldn't 
worry about being unwavering in it. And so I invite you to really contemplate this as you begin to um, offer, you know, your services as a teacher, as a counselor, as a leader in the community, even in your relationships, because everything that we learn here, it's not just about developing a professional, you know, practitioner career. You'll get those tools, but it's also going to teach you how to have successful relationships and successful um, creative endeavors and all that stuff, you know, is like really allowing yourself to know that you are valuable, that the training and the material and the practices that you have gotten through the practitioner program are all very valuable, and you shouldn't doubt that, and you are worthy to be a teacher of God. You have answered the call. You are willing. You have done the work to clear the block so that you can be a clear channel for that love to pour forth. So there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't stand in that integrity. And, you know, allow me, what's wonderful about the teacher-student relationship is that the student doesn't have to repeat the errors of the teacher. <clears throat> so allow my experience with undervaluing myself and my time to have, let me, let, let me give that to you as an offering so you don't have to do that. I did that and it felt crummy. It really did. And I have, I've had to learn how to value myself as a spiritual teacher and as a minister and as a leader. And it was from falling down many, many, many times. But, um, you know, if it's in your greatest learning, then you'll fall down. Of course you will. We all do, right? But maybe you don't have to fall down as many times as I did. Now, the last thing that we should talk about is the difference between standing with integrity and withholding. Because oftentimes you'll hear about people who, uh, you know, someone will reach out to them for help, but they will refuse to help them because they can't pay the amount of money that they're saying is required for their session. And the way that, you know, the divine consciousness works, if we really truly believe that God is our source and our source is not our client, and there's never a reason to withhold our gifts and talents from others. Whatever we withhold from people will be withheld from us. Let me repeat that. Whatever we withhold will be withheld. And so you can trust that there are no coincidences. And if somebody comes to you for help but does not have the resources to give you what your, your sort of your baseline asking quote is, then and you refuse them, you know, that's, that's withholding. There's always the opportunity to support those, I'll say, that temporarily seem to be in need. You know, we can always make time for people who are reaching out to us for support, especially when it's for, you know, spiritual guidance and support. You know, we have an infinite amount of goods and resources in that department, and we should give from that space of overflow and generosity. Marianne Williamson talks about divine compensation, you know, like, like we have to be able to trust that all of our needs are always met because we give from a space of abundance. And so, you know, I've, I've heard of people who just refuse to see people because they can't pay the price, you know, pay the price. But I always, that never felt, I, I was never able to like put words to why that didn't feel good to me because I felt like, you know, we're children of God. Like there is no price you know, on our time, 
And um, you have to be able to feel, feel into it. You know, is this person, you know, is this a common experience for this person? Are they always trying to get something for free? Do they feel entitled? Like, are they someone that's always trying to work the system and things like that? You can feel into that and you pray and you ask for guidance. But um, if it's a genuine case of someone is you specifically, they're looking to you and extending their hand to you, it's important that you extend their, your hand to them. And there's always, always, always an opportunity to work out a system of exchange. You know what I mean? Like they may not be able to pay your the cost that you usually charge, but what are they willing to pay? What can they pay? Is there something else that they can do in exchange, you know? And you can think that because, you know, the law of giving and receiving is important to teach too. There should be an exchange. Your time is valuable. And, but we never withhold. We never withhold. And, you know, this is what we learn to do. We check in with ourselves. We learn to, you know, really feel like into it. Am I withholding here? Or am I, is this my intuition saying that this person does this a lot? You know, wh- where's the, you know, wh- ask for clarity. And since we're all one in the mind of God, since we do have our inner guides available to us at all times, since we are practitioners and we've learned, you know, the power of prayer and meditation, we're learning how to call upon our guides and for support, we should turn to them. And we, the answer will always be given. And whatever is in your highest good, whatever is for your highest learning, will be revealed. So let's open up the group and just talk about this idea a little bit more. Um, who has uh, thoughts on what we've shared about creating loving boundaries, creating, you know, um, holding the space of high-level integrity in the work that we do around time integrity, around cost, um, who has had experiences of um, maybe now in retrospect you understand they were, you were undervaluing yourself and so you let people sort of walk all over you or, or maybe not show up at the level of integrity that you would have preferred? And what have you learned from that? Who would like to share? Um, I can share a bit on that. I uh, am still currently in a relationship with an individual who works Um, at the company that I work with. And um, for the last, you know, we've worked together for about six years. And this person is never on time um, and often delivers work late. And at the various, you know, in the various roles that I've played, he's always had the same role. He's never advanced from one role to another role. But I have. So in each role, I've had to reevaluate what, who am I to this person? What what can how can I affect have any impact on this? Um, and so where I'm at to, you know, I've had several conversations and tried to do some training. I tried to actually promote him um, with the caveat that this problem would need to be corrected in order for him to be a leader. And then ended up having to demote him because he didn't meet the expectation. And um, I've kind of just given up, but I sort of used spiritual principles as an excuse for giving up. Like I was saying, oh, well, maybe not every employee needs to be treated the same. Maybe it makes me more spiritual or something if I can 
deal with him on his own level. Um, but that, you know, but yeah, great. Now I'm a good person, but it hasn't really helped the business or helped this individual with his own integrity. So I don't know that I have much more than a story to offer, but I'm still dealing every day with sort of like, what is the loving, what is the loving thing to do? And, and how do you, you know, because there is, if the, if the consequence is that I'm going to not have this person in my life, I'm going to take, take this person out of the equation, then they haven't learned anything with that. So I know that I don't want that to be the, the thing, but this, you know, what, what else can you do? There's no consequence that this person has responded to of late, and I don't want to lose them from my community. So it's just like, I just don't know what to do with this person. So that's a really great, great story. It's a perfect example because here's the deal. You know, have you heard like, um, you know, uh, I think that in Radical Forgiveness, Colin, Tip- Colin Tippings talks about having one foot in the spiritual and one foot in the material. You know, like we are spiritual beings having a human experience, right? And <laughs> in this experience, you know, uh, in this current life experience that he's having, he's, you know, an American living in Seattle. You know, he's, I'm sure he pays his taxes. I'm sure that if he gets a parking ticket, he pays that parking ticket because if not, there's consequences. So there are certain societal structures and rules that we agree upon and we participate in, if we want to participate in, you know what I mean? Like if you, what happens, Jennifer, if, uh, if you get parking tickets or speeding tickets and you don't pay them over a period of time, what happens? What's the consequence? Penalties. Financial yeah. penalties. Yeah, exactly. Now, do you think that the people creating these laws think that this person is less worthy to be, to have medical care, less worthy to have uh, police care to help protect and serve him and all that stuff? No, they no. think he should but, pay his bill. Yeah, exactly, because that's sort of the agreement. If we agree, you know, living in this society, that we want to have a car, that we, we take a test, we have a license, but there are certain restrictions and expectations in holding that. It's a privilege to have a license, and so... If you refuse to meet those basic restrictions, regulations, and rules that everybody has agreed upon, then there's consequences, and you may lose the um, you may uh, lose the uh, privilege of driving that car. But it's not personal. And what do you think would happen if that guy got his car taken away, right? But there's mm-hmm. opportunity to do X, Y, and Z to to get his car back. Do you think that he would? go about that process so he could get his car back? I mean, so you would think, yes, but I guess you have to figure out what it is that person truly desires in order to. No, first of all, no, you don't. You don't have to figure it out. That's the thing. That's what we're getting. This is where we're getting to is. Okay. You, you don't have to teach him about being a good human being. You don't have to teach him about being responsible. That is not your job to teach him. Your job is to be a fair and just and respectable employer 
because that's what you're interested in embodying. And so you don't, we don't know where his greatest uh, learning lies. And if we think that we do, then we're playing God, right? We don't have okay. a crystal ball. We can't see all the, all, you know, we can't see in all directions of time and space. So you're just assuming that it's in his best interest or that it's going to be better to have him there and you want to figure out how you can have him there. But he's not meeting the standards that the company has set for being a good employee or whatever. This is just an example, right? And so you can very, very lovingly, very lovingly say this is no longer a good fit because you can't seem to comply with the rules and regulations that everyone else is doing, you know? And there's, we didn't keep these a secret to you. You were very clear as to what they were, and you continue to not meet the basic standards that we set forth as a company. Um, and so I don't – you can very lovingly say this is no longer a good fit for us, you know, because maybe with that experience he learns that he needs to make certain adjustments and shifts if he's interested in being employed with a respectable company, Right. Right. So we don't know. So this is, again, this is about knowing your value. You know, you are paying him a paycheck. I'm sure that you don't underpay him. And uh, I'm sure that, you know, it's a honor and privilege to work with you in, in that company. You know, but if you're not meeting, you know, if you're not fulfilling your part of the bargain, then you're taking, you know, and that's not healthy. And that's not loving. And then, you know, if he continues not to adhere to the request that you're making as an employer, he's not respecting you as an employer, you know, and you're holding the space of being loved and respected, and that's the bare minimum that you expect out of your relationships. And so it could be very loving to let an employee go, you know what I mean? And so these are things that we have to, you know, we we can't confuse being liked with being loving. Because sometimes you have to give people, like Mark said, you have to be willing to be fired, meaning you have to be willing to allow someone to project their own BS onto you, meaning they think that you're awful, you're bad, you're inconsiderate when you're not being that, you know. So your, your job is to be clear on your intentions and then to hold a high level of integrity if that's what you're interested in experiencing in your workplace. Okay, I hear you. I do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, we can't we can't get into that role of what's going to be best for their learning. You know, we don't know. But yeah. you do know what your responsibility is and what kind of work environment you want to have. And also I, I def- your Go ahead. I definitely know that I need to work on where I give myself my own value. You know, this whole idea that God is our source and so we, you know, what's at the whole root of this, because I'm constantly hearing people like rattle off their resumes, you know, when you like elevator pitch people and stuff. And I'm always like, I don't, I don't want to give them my resume. I don't, I don't think that, that it really speaks to the value that I have, you know? And so I, I find myself always wavering with what my value truly is because I just, I don't believe my, you know, that, that my resume really speaks it. I think you're right. I don't think you have to rattle off your resume. But you're still that, I mean, I don't think, I think these are two different conversations though. Like, you know, you know what your inherent value is. You're a child of God, you know, 
you can't put a price tag or anything on your value, you know. It, your value is limitless. But, um, and that's your inherent truth. You know, that's the, all of our truth. And um, so, but as your position as an employer, you know, there are certain, you get to decide what kind of environment you'd like to create, how you would like to be treated. You know, you hold the space for how you'd like to be treated by your employees, how you treat your employees. You know, I can't imagine that Jennifer O'Brien treats her employees unfairly. Obviously, you give them plenty of chances to step up to the plate, you know, but if someone's not ready, then someone's not ready, and it doesn't make them bad or good. But, you know, Jacob Glass said something once, and it really stuck with me. He says, you know, we continue to go in the direction that we're interested in. We go towards our vision, and we extend our hands to everyone. And sometimes it's about extending behind you that they can come along. But if there's any resistance, then you can let your hand, you can open your hand and let them go and as you continue to go towards your vision. And when they're ready to catch up, they'll catch up. But you don't allow yourself to be held back because of other people's inability to work through their blocks. You know, we know the truth for them. We love them. But it's not our job to fix them or to work through anything. There's nothing to be fixed, but it's not our job to do their healing. You know what I mean? What we can do for it. them, the, great, the greatest thing we can do for them is to know the truth of them. And we, can, we all get to continue to go towards the vision that we're creating for ourselves. Super helpful. Thank you. Yeah. It's a challenging one. It's a real challenging one. Our desire to be liked is it's really in there. You know what I mean? Fear of what other people think is a big, is a big deterrent to a lot of people's goals and dreams. Um, we're going a little over the time I allotted for this, but I love this conversation and, and I'd like to support anyone else who has a question. So does anyone else have a question or something they'd like to contribute? Hi, it's Brandon. Hey, Brandon. So, um, uh, as you, you know, particularly you, Jesse, I've, uh, been, uh, counseling and coaching for um for a little bit now and um for me <clears throat> well one I find that I break my own <laughs> integrity more than anyone else does um uh for me it's also hard and I could probably talk to you offline about this um because maybe everyone's not interested in this quote-unquote challenge I have, but sometimes I feel like people just want to sign up to work with me because they saw me on the show. (laughs) Um, But also, I don't... For me, it's a personal ethic thing to not have a sliding scale. Um, One, because the value of my work cannot change from person to person. Two, I don't have a proper system in place to determine who would qualify for a sliding scale. Um, three, I always commit to, I would always hold, you know, 10% of my space for um, people who needed pro bono services. So that's how I look at it because I've known people who just gotten really weird about it. It's like, oh my God, I don't know who I'm charging what anymore. 
And um, there, there seems to be a mix of integrity uh, in there for me personally. So I, um, that's just how I've been doing it recently. So if someone's like, well, I can't do X amount of dollars four times a month, um, then I'm like, well, let's, let's start off with two if that's good for you, two times a month. And then uh, I, I'm available for email support if needed. But um, that's how I hold it right now. Plus, it, it keeps me from being burdened um, in different ways. Yeah, no, I think that you're actually, um, I like that you that you said you reserved 10% for pro bono work, and I think that that's your way of holding the space of not having to uh, turn anyone away. And, you mm-hmm. know, again, we're, we're spiritual practitioners, and so we can do, we get really clear, and we'll talk about this too, you know, you get really clear on who would you like your students to be, who would you like your clients to be. And there's a difference between, um, getting clear on that and sharing with someone that you don't think it's a good fit versus turning someone away. And it's an energetic difference. And this is what we're going, we, we learn to do. We get clear on, you know, does this feel like a good fit? You know, is this person like, you know, the time that I reserve for spiritual counseling is for spiritual counseling. And if this person isn't interested in spiritual counseling, if they're interested in spending time with me because they saw me on TV, that's a different thing. And you can feel into that. And you can, and with that said, too, you know, you never know what gifts could emerge from it. This is why having, <laughs> right. a, you know, a prayerful practice is important. You know, we just feel into it. And we trust our intuition, you know. And so you're just developing that sense and you'll develop a structure around it. You know, again, we remain fluid and flexible within the boundaries that we set for ourselves, you know, um, and the boundaries will always shift. They'll always change. And, you know, like Jennifer, she's now, you know, Jennifer has 10,000 people in some of her classes online. It's wild. And she has lots of people that would like to work with her, but she does not have time to see everybody that would like that would like to see her. So she developed a spiritual counseling program. She certified spiritual counselors. So now she can send people to um, uh, the counselors that she's certified. So she's still, she's not turning anyone away. She's not denying anybody or withholding, but she's provide, she's creating different um, areas to send people so she can support everyone. So she's maintaining uh she's in alignment with her integrity and so that's why a beautiful thing brandon is that we have colleagues and so you might be like you know this person isn't necessarily interested in what i'm offering uh mm-hmm. you know and i'm but you know maybe this is a good fit for mark or you know right. maybe this is a good fit for someone else and so you know we learn to um we learn to just feel into it you know I don't, I don't know if that was helpful, but, you know, I, I think it's a kind of an ever-evolving conversation. For sure. And also coming to the realization <laughs> that I don't want to do it as much anymore. Well, you know, that's the thing, too, is that might be the case. Like, you might not, you just might not be interested in seeing people in that capacity, you know. And so... What I would say is, you know, find out what it is that you would like to do. And so if someone comes to you for counseling, but you're not really interested in counseling, you can say, you know, I'm not really doing counseling, but you can definitely come to my 
uh, my speaking engagement that I'm doing here, mm-hmm. or, you know, here's, um, you know, I don't really see people one-on-one anymore, but what you can do is, um, you know, sign up for my newsletter and I'll send you out, you know, and I send out recordings of my teachings and things like that and inspirational readings that a lot of people find very helpful. But if you would like counseling, I'd be more than happy to refer you to my colleagues. Right. You know? Cool. Yeah. And I'd prefer, Brandon, next personal story of ours that you um, you do that offline because I was really hurt when you said that you wouldn't see me at counseling because I saw you on the show. <laughs> I just well, I already told everyone offline about it anyways, so this is more like an intervention for you to stop blowing up my inbox. <laughs> All right. Any last uh, any last thoughts on this? Okay. Perfect. So, um, guys, we're really uh, let's just take honestly take two minutes, stretch, use the restroom, refill your water. Meet me back here at nine forty six because uh, I want to touch a little bit on the Goldsmith teaching, but we also have three sections of a course in miracles that we may or may not get through. So uh, have at it. Go team. 946. See you back here.
Okay, so I'd like to review uh, the homework from this last week and um, for the next 13 minutes, and then we'll see what, how much of the course we can get in in half an hour, knowing that there's no time and space. I trust that we can do everything, and everyone will hear exactly what needs to be heard to support them. Um, Okay, so looking at our homework, the week six worksheet uh, in the section Dominion over Body, Mind, and Purse. So this is um, really talking about all of the the areas that um, often, um, you know, people are going to come to you for support with. You know, a lot of times, you know, challenges that people have in their life are generally romance, finance, and health, right? Romance, finance, and health. Romance could also be sort of translated to relationships, right? So uh, relationships, finance, and health are the three areas of living that um, challenges seem to arise a lot within the human condition. So, um, so this one, uh, Dominion Over Body, Mind, and Purse, sort of deals with how we support people moving through any sort of challenge, any kind of challenge, as far as the treatment goes. So the first question is, please offer your own definition of treatment, spiritual mind treatment. So uh, who would like to offer their definition of that? Who would like to give that? Uh, spiritual mind treatment is the action of meeting with a person who is seeking healing and while meeting with them, sitting in the realization of God and truth for all so that I may reach the seeker and anyone else open to the power of the truth. Beautiful, really beautiful definition. Now, I would offer a slight adjustment or at least uh, I would offer a piece of inquiry uh, do you have to meet with the person to offer treatment? You know, no, you don't. Although I, I was not clear in the reading. It kept coming up that, like, when are you doing, you know, he, he says you sit with them or, or you, 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 they, they request the help and then you are in the treatment and then at the end of the treatment you sit in silence and you hear the word of God. But I wasn't quite sure if those words were, supposed to be conveyed in that session to that person or if those words were just for me? Uh, I feel as though they're, uh, you, sit in, you offer the treatment, but in the sitting of in silence, that's part of the treatment. And so what it is is I, I believe he's saying, in essence, you invoke the word of God, in other words, we would say we hand it over. So we invite in, you know, the guides, we invite in, we hand over the session, and then we sit in silence until we feel inspired to speak, trusting that the words that are coming forth are the word of God. And so the treatment itself is the prayer, the affirmative prayer. Mm-hmm. Right? And then... Um, and so okay. I just wasn't the, the the wasn't sure. Well, if I'm being compelled to speak, then I must be with that person, or I mean, I guess not. But well, you know, I know the, I know the answer is that they you don't need to be with them. I know that's the answer, but mm-hmm. I'm still there's still some questions that I have around. Well, then you know, when you hear those words, when you evoke whatever you evoke, and you have that 
prayer like then uh, yeah I, so more well but here here's here's an interesting thing let's actually um hop over number two for now and uh on the workshop it says why is it not necessary to know a person's name what they look like or anything that might identify them as a particular individual in order to offer them mind treatment sure so why why is it not important to know their name or anything specific that they're asking for? Um, it is not necessary to identify an individual by name or what they look like because it is not truly who they are. Just as I am not my body or mind, neither is the person seeking healing. I need only sit in the realization of God to know that the truth can be known. Yeah. All right. There you go. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah. So, okay. uh, you know, when he was doing his thing, when he was in full swing, Goldsmith would see, I think it was something like over 100. He would, he would offer over 100 treatments for patients a day. And there were reports of miraculous healings. And the people that would get the most miraculous, who, who seemed to have the most benefit would be the people that would call and leave a message. And they'd call back with these miraculous things that unfolded in their life. So he never met the person. He, all he got was sort of their name. He, he saw a message, you know, that a secretary would write with like a name and uh, what they were calling for. And so the intention of the person that he was offering a treatment for was met through the treatment. And the miracle was expressed through that. Right? So, um, so I'd like to hear from somebody else. Uh, why is it not important to bring, or, or why does Goldsmith say that we don't bring the person or the situation, circumstance, illness, relationship into the treatment why do we not bring that into the treatment because it's distracting because we bring yeah. the personality the identity yeah the truth of who they are mm-hmm. yeah so if we look at the GODS affirmative prayer the only part that is truly treatment, I guess there's two elements, is the D and the S. Traditional uh, religious science or science of mind treatment would be D. It's the declare. So the gratitude creates the space. Offering up the O, it addresses what the prayer request is. But we also... You know, it's uh, it's our willingness to let it go, to try to stop figuring it out. We're handing it over. But the declare, the declarative statement, that's the golden rule, right? We are bringing our mind to God. We are aligning with God. And that is where, you know, we allow the truth to, when we align with truth, we experience that, right? And so in God, is there disease? Is there limitation? Is there poverty? Is there heartache, none of that's there. And so we allow the truth to come and express and then we begin to experience that. The sharing, I think, is 
could technically, in my at least in my experience, part of it because we are knowing it for all people. So again, we lean into the oneness of all people in God. Um. Hey Jeffy, can I ask a question around that? Yep. Um, so, in the context of what I'm understanding, um, in terms of what a session would look like based on Goldsmith's perspective, is that you would you would create a safe space, open space for them to basically unload or dump whatever is there for them. So let them talk it out or share whatever they feel they need to share. Um, and then simply move into affirmative prayer, um, that there really isn't any real discussion or conversation that needs to be had in a counseling context. And, you know, any attention to the perceived disease or issue is not true healing. Um, Is that correct? Yeah. So Goldsmith is not a spiritual counselor. He offered spiritual mind treatment. He offered prayer treatment. So, like, uh, Jacob Glass does the same thing. He, uh, if you want him as a coach or you want him as a counselor in that capacity, he charges a lot more money for that because he's not, like Brandon, he's not super interested in that. What he, what he does is he offers treatment. He offers prayer treatment. So, pretty in essence, you share what it is that you're interested in, and then he does treatment with you. So Goldsmith did treatment as well, but he wasn't necessarily a spiritual counselor. We're learning the Goldsmith technique because we incorporate that into our spiritual counseling session, if that makes sense. That makes, that makes sense. Is, so what, how would a counseling session from your standpoint, how, how would it look different compared to what Goldsmith does with treatment? Um, a counseling session offers the client more time to process what uh, their perceived um, challenges and the counselor guides them to unveiling um, patterns in which this belief system or challenge uh, is expressing in their life. And so, you know, we sit, we listen, we offer comfort, um, we allow them to share, but we're listening to, what, to the belief systems that are active because we know that the belief systems that are active in their life are creating this experience. It can't just be in one area of their life, you know. Chances are there's going to be uh, the same sort of experience in different areas of their life. And so we're supporting them. In essence, we're teaching them about the power of, cause and effect, the law of cause and effect. And um, so we're holding the space for that healing to unfold. And then we conclude with the treatment. So we conclude with the affirmative treatment. Now, oftentimes, you know, um, the person that is seeking support isn't ready to receive the healing, right? But that doesn't mean we deny them the opportunity to process, to share, and receive treatment. You know, a lot of times it takes several, several, um, several sessions, months, years sometimes to have a full healing with something. But we offer them the space, a safe space, to 
engage in that journey, to engage in that exploration. And that's what we're doing as spiritual counselors. And we're also giving them the tool and affirming the truth for them through our treatment process. And Mark, since I have you here, we have a minute left on this section. What, uh, you know, what makes a treatment effective? What's the key element that makes the treatment the most effective? Is the realization of God. Through whom? Through the mind. <laughs> yeah, of of the uh, the count. Well, yeah, yeah, you, know, you got it, you had it. <laughs> <laughs> through the counselor. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so the treatment, you know, this is. Ernest Holmes uh, talk. This is Goldsmith also says this. You know, the the, the treatment is going to be effective uh, to the level that the practitioner believes it. You know, and so uh, you know the we, we talked about this in the Course in Miracles when we talked about healing. Uh, when we looked at that, remember that sometimes healing seems like death to the person who is sick. And so, in essence, if someone has created an identity around an ego belief system, the idea of releasing that can feel like death because they won't know who they are anymore. I don't know who I am anymore if I don't resent my mother. You know, I don't know who I am anymore. I'm not ready to be completely healed of this disease because I don't know who I am without it. And so it can feel like death to the identifier, right? And so it takes, sometimes it takes time and that's what we're here to do is to be a, a support and to be a light, the lighthouse, to be a constant reminder to our te- to our students and our clients that um, that there is, uh, I, you know, I waver with hope. I think that hope is actually very important for the collective when we're moving forward something, and yet hope is irrelevant with to the practitioner because the practitioner has to stand in knowing belief, you know? But hope in the collective offers them, you know, if they're not ready to stand in truth, it gives them a feeling or a sense or something to move towards, you know? It's a fuel to move towards as we continue to peel away the layers of of separation. So I'd like to move to A Course in Miracles now. so let's all take out our course books. Um, and I, I just like to say, you know, we're sort of really burning through these conversations, but they're so good. There's so much to talk about. I'm so grateful. Um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to um, to have these conversations with you guys. And um, uh, they're so valuable. They're so, so valuable. And, uh, and you guys bring so much to each conversation. So thank you, thank you, thank you for participating, for doing this work, for continuing to deepen your own practice, to keeping these thoughts in the forefront of your mind, and, um, and to continuing to show up because, you know, the evolution of your life is, is having an effect on the evolution of all life. So... Beautiful.
So we're going to uh, explore number 24 in Manual for Teachers, is reincarnation so? Is reincarnation so? So now we're getting into some of these questions and um, ideas that are very popular in uh, new thought and uh, new age spiritual communities and things like that. So um, is anyone not available to read today? Great. Okay, cool. So uh, the reading order will be um, L.E., you'll go first, and then we will have Martha go, and then we will have Brandon go, and then Mark, and then Jennifer. So L.E., Martha, Brandon, Mark, Jennifer, and the session is six, so I'll read two. The next two have six, so I'll go last after Jennifer. So, Ellie, whenever you're ready, feel free. Okay. In the ultimate sense, reincarnation is impossible. There is no past or future, and the idea of birth into a body has no meaning either other once or many times. Reincarnation cannot then be true in any real sense. Our only question should be, is the concept helpful? And that depends, of course, on what it is used for. If it is used to strengthen the recognition of the eternal nature of life, it is helpful indeed. Is any other question about it really useful in lighting up the way? Like many other beliefs, it can be bitterly misused. At least such misuse offers preoccupation and perhaps pride in the past. At worst, it induces inertia in the present. In between, many kinds of folly are possible. Reincarnation would not, under any circumstances, be the problem to be dealt with now. If it were responsible for some of the difficulties the individual faces now, this task would still be only to escape from, the, from them now. If he is laying the groundwork for a future life, he can still work out his salvation only now. To some, there may be comfort in the concept, and if it heartens them, its value is self-evident. It is certain, however, that the way to salvation can be found by those who believe in reincarnation and by those who do not. The idea cannot, therefore, be regarded as essential to the curriculum. There is always some risk in seeing the present in terms of the past. There is always some good in any thought, which strengthens the idea that life and the body are not the same. For our purposes, it would not be helpful to take any definite stand on reincarnation. A teacher of God should be as helpful to those who believe in it as to those who do not. It is a definite stand where, where if a definite stand were required of him, it would merely limit his usefulness as well as his own decision making. Of course, our course is not concerned with any concept that is not acceptable to anyone, regardless of his formal beliefs. His ego will be enough for him to cope with, and it is not part of the wisdom to add uh, sectarian controversies to his burdens. Nor would there be any advantage in his premature acceptance of, his, of the course merely because it advocates a long-held belief of his own. It cannot be too strongly emphasized that this course aims at a complete reversal of thought. When this is finally accomplished, Issues such as the validity of reincarnation become meaningless. Until then, they are likely to be merely controversial. 
The teacher of God is therefore wise to step away from all such questions, for he has much to teach and learn apart from them. He should both learn and teach that theoretical issues, but waste time, draining it away from its appointed purpose. If there are aspects to any concept or belief that will be helpful, he will be told about it. He will also be told how to use it. What more need he know? Mute, Jennifer. Does this mean, sorry, does this mean that the teacher of God should not believe in reincarnation himself or discuss it with others who do? The answer is certainly not. If he does believe in reincarnation, it would be a mistake for him to renounce the belief unless his internal teacher so advised. And this is most unlikely. He might be advised that he is misusing the belief in some way which is detrimental to his pupil's advance or his own. Reinterpretation would then be recommended because it would be necessary. All that must be recognized, however, is that birth was not the beginning and death is not the end. Yet even this much is not required of the beginner. He need merely accept the idea that what he knows is not necessarily all there is to learn. His journey has begun. The emphasis on this course always remains the same. It is at this moment that complete salvation is offered to you, and it is at this moment that you can accept it. This is still your one responsibility. Atonement might be equated with total escape from the past and total lack of interest in the future. Heaven is here. There is nowhere else. Heaven is now. There is no other time. No teaching that does not lead to this is of concern of God's teachers. All beliefs will point to this if properly interpreted. In this sense, it can be said that their truth lies in their usefulness. All beliefs that lead to the progress should be honored. This is the sole criterion this course requires. No more than this is necessary. I love this section and some of the following sections because the course just keeps it so real. <laughs> keeps it so real. And... Uh, let, 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 let me, I, I like to hear your, your takeaways from this section. What are, what are some of your thoughts? Uh, reincarnation in six paragraphs. Pretty impressive. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I, I like it because um, in the vein of 12 steps, it's like boo, whatever works for you to get closer to God, just do it. And don't judge the way anyone else is doing it. <laughs> I think that, Brandon, I think that you should rewrite the Course in Miracles, <laughs> but like through like, <laughs> well, through, it's, it's don't funny. sweat it. Like this whole court, this whole section would just be like, don't sweat it. If it works, fine. Next. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, right. I'm like, I think it's funny, though, because I, I've had this long-held belief about reincarnation that has been this, and I'm like, maybe I just read this a couple years ago, and it just sat in me, because it feels so right. It's like, because I don't know about reincarnation, like, but I love when people talk about it, and then I'm also cool when people don't identify with, with it, because I don't completely identify with it. So, yeah, I just love the open-mindedness of it. I liked, uh, actually, of course, the part that I read. Um, it cannot be too strongly emphasized that this course aims at a complete reversal of thoughts. 
Um, and for someone who's always thinking, the idea of re- just like reversing my thinking feels like a clusterfuck in my head, but also feels extremely um, empowering. So, um, yeah, I really love that. I am a person who has benefited from uh, from educating myself on reincarnation and participating in some of the teachings that um, come out of that way of thinking. So uh, this is, you know, I actually was like late to my section because I was having like a, a like kind of aha moment and got kind of lost in it and then was like, oh my God, it's my turn. I have to read. Um, so anyway, I find it very interesting and I will say, you know, that I, I do find reincarnation beneficial, but, um, yeah, I have always wondered like, but who cares, right? I have always had this like thought at the end of everything that I'm learning about, like, yeah, but who cares? And this teaching kind of, uh, substantiates why I think that. Me too. I'm like Jennifer. I mean, I also believe in reincarnation. So throughout, it kind of made sense or made it uh, easier for me to understand some of the things in the world as far as, I guess, not freaking me out as much or just making some sense of it. Um, But there was, yeah, now it's like that connection because I also know that now it's like where we are God is so it's like we're in the present moment so we put it that way I I could see where reincarnation doesn't exist which I still had it in my mind that it did until right now like it just cleared that between both my beliefs but I could see like you said the benefits of uh, believing in that the time you know in my past or even just up to right now because it does happen right now that I understand why it's not real, but I could see how it did benefit me for several years. Well, I feel like it shows it's not real because we are not these bodies. We are not these personalities. And so, you know, but we get really invested of different manifestations that the ego has taken in the past, you know, that this like stream of consciousness has taken in the past, and um, and we make it mean something. I had a friend who was so afraid of elevators, like they, they just got they just couldn't handle it, and they went to a psychic, and the psychic told them that they were a coal miner that had died in an elevator collision in the coal in the mines or whatever, and so she used that as an excuse to never have to heal her fear of elevators. Well, you don't understand. I was a coal miner, and I died in a in a thing. So it's just in me. Like, it's not going anywhere. And I was like, well, all right. <laughs> like, if that's, if that's what you'd like to believe, you know, if, that's, if, if your fear of elevators is that valuable to you, that you are unwilling, you know, that you're finding reasons to hold on to it, then great. <clears throat> you know, death to the ego, right? That healing felt like death to the identity of that person who's always been afraid of elevators and unwilling to um, release it. And you know what? Maybe she's right. Maybe that is where that experience, uh, you know, was originated. If there's no time and space, then who, who knows? But the, the, the energy that the course has around it of like, 
eh, it doesn't really matter. Like, you know, I think with that in mind, we should read the next section because it's sort of similar in tone and idea. So let's read the next section, which are number 25, are psychic powers desirable? And Ellie, whenever you're ready, go for it. The answer to this question is much like the preceding one. There are, of course, no unnatural powers, and it is obviously merely an appeal to magic to make up a power that does not exist. It is equally obvious, however, that each individual has many abilities of which he is unaware. As his unawareness increases, he may well develop abilities that seem quite startling to him. And nothing he can do can compare even in the slightest with the glorious surprise of remembering who he is. Let, uh, let all his learning and all his efforts be directed toward this one great final surprise, and he will not be content to be delayed by the little ones that may come to him on the way. Certainly there are many psychic powers that are clearly in line with this course. Communication is not limited to the small range of channels the world recognizes. If it were, there would be little point in trying to teach salvation. It would be impossible to do so. The limits the world places on communication are the chief barriers to direct experience of the Holy Spirit, whose presence is always there and whose voice is available, but for the hearing. These limits are placed out of fear, for without them, the walls that surround all the separate places of the world would fall at the holy sound of his voice, who transcends these limits in any way and merely becoming more natural. He is doing nothing special, and, and there is no magic in his accomplishment. The seemingly new abilities that may be gathered on the way can be very helpful. Given to the Holy Spirit and used under his direction, they are valuable teaching aids. To this, the question of how they arise is irrelevant. The only important consideration is how they are used. Taking them as ends in themselves, no matter how this is done, will delay progress. Nor does their value lie in proving anything. Achievements from the past, unusual attunement with the unseen, or special favors from God. God gives no special favors, and no one has any power that are not available to everyone. Only by tricks of magic are special powers demonstrated. Nothing that is genuine is used to deceive. The Holy Spirit is incapable of deception, and he can use only genuine abilities. What is used for magic is useless to him. But what he uses cannot be used for magic. There is, however, a particular appeal in unusual abilities that can be curiously tempting. Here are the strengths which the Holy Spirit wants and needs. Yet the ego sees in these same strengths an opportunity to glorify itself. Strengths turned to weakness are tragedy indeed. Yet what is not given to the Holy Spirit must be given to weakness. For what is withheld from love is given to fear. And what will be fearful in consequence? Even those who no longer value the material things of the world may still be deceived by psychic powers, as investment has been withdrawn from the world's material gifts. The ego has been seriously threatened. It may seem to be strong enough to rally under this new temptation to win back strength by guile. Many have not seen through the ego's defense here, although they are particularly subtle. Yet given a remaining wish to be deceived, deception is made easy. Now the power is no longer by genuine ability and cannot be used dependently. It is almost inevitable that unless the individual changes his mind about its purpose, he will bolster its uncertainties with increasing deception. 
Any ability that anyone develops has the potentiality for good. To this, there is no exception. And the more unusual and unexpected the power, the greater the potential usefulness. Salvation has need of all abilities. For what the world would destroy, the Holy Spirit would restore. Psychic abilities have been used to call upon the devil, which merely means to strengthen the ego. Yet, here is also a great channel of hope and healing in the Holy Spirit's service. Those who have developed psychic powers have simply let some of the limitations they laid upon their minds be lifted. It can be, cut, it can be but further limitations that they lay upon themselves if they utilize their increased freedom for greater imprisonment. The Holy Spirit needs these gifts, and those who offer them to him and him alone go with Christ's gratitude upon their hearts in his holy sight, not far behind. There's a wonderful um, documentary called Wake Up, and it's about this guy who started to see light beings and angels, and he was just this dude, uh, the southern dude that lived in New York, and he thought he was going crazy, so they started. They did this documentary about him, and as he went to um, first a group of psychologists to see if he was schizophrenic, which they also said he wasn't. Then he went to all these different spiritual leaders around the world to share his experience, so they could, you know, uh, give them their perspective and insight and stuff. And a lot of the spiritual teachers, specifically the Buddhist and the mystic, of course, I love the mystical teacher the most. They listened to him, you know, listened to him share his experience, and then they were like, okay, great, so now what? You know, because they sensed that, you know, he was so desperate to make this special. He wanted to be special because he could see these things. But the mystic was really like, okay, so you see angels. Great, so what are you going to do with it? You know, but he wasn't like, oh, my God, like we need to, you know, create the platform for you to, you know, share this gift with all people to let them know that this is real and da 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 da. da. It was just like, yeah, okay, you know, great. <laughs> and you know, uh, there's a real temptation to be enchanted by like fourth dimensional, you know, uh, expressions like you know clairvoyancy and and, uh, you know, being a medium and things like that. And why are people so attracted to that? One, I'd like to hear, why do you think people would, would desire to have the ability? And two, why do people go to psychics to be told what their future holds? Hi, it's Brandon. Hey. Um. I'll I'll answer those questions for sure, but uh, this is actually something I was I remember thinking about last year at the retreat, and I kept on like I kept on saying something about it because um, before the before I went on the show, the last two people that I dated seriously, I didn't know this about them until I was into like dating them a couple weeks, but they were both mediums and like that like people that were like seeing things and premonitions and like legit stuff and i was always fascinated with it and then uh i met someone who you know has had that kundalini white light experience and now is quote unquote third eyes completely open and you know he has experience of like being able to like heal people but 
on the outside, he's still just a completely normal, like, whatever person. So I've, like, I've struggled with it myself because I think, like, a lot of us in the class, you know, we've had this affinity towards um, deeper spiritual learning for our whole lives. And so for someone to just, like, have a white light experience, um, I always say my spirituality, because we talk about it in um, AA, my spirituality is of the educational variety. I have to learn a little bit, toil a little bit, and then get to the next level. Um, so that white light experience feels really, would, in my mind, feels really affirming that, yeah, good girl, you're doing real good. Like, God put his hand on you. You're blessed. You are good. You are golden. But I will say that the educational variety is much more useful for me interacting and sharing messages specifically aligned around the words like grace and forgiveness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was always so resentful that I didn't get my white light moment. I felt Mm -hmm. like I put enough work into it (laughs) that I deserved it. Because I wanted, because because what did I want for that? I wanted confirmation that I was right, and that I was going in the right direction. Because yeah. I didn't trust it, I didn't fully trust it, and now I'm grateful that I didn't have that mystical experience. Because I've developed, like you said, I've developed my own relationship with hearing, with listening, with grace, and I and I feel my channels opening up for sure. You know, people talk about synchronicity a lot, but that's just one way that we begin to. Experience Experience our connectivity with all life, you know? You think something and then you see something. You're like, oh, all right, cool, you know? And I always laugh, like, the veil is unlifting. But, but you know, I, I think that a lot of people desire to have these gifts because it, it makes them special, you know? And um, I had an experience a couple years ago with a friend that started, you know, doing all this deep meditation work and then all of a sudden was a channel and all, all these things. And I really felt into it that, that this person was really, really lonely and developed a way to get attention and, affir- and, and confirmation from other people that they were special. And, um, you know, and it actually took them on a really dark, to a dark place. So, um, yeah, I mean, remember, guys, the ego is reading the same book as you are they're going to the same workshops and so they it knows how to talk to you (laughs) i will say you know i uh about every three years or so i have a psychic that i will uh talk to why do i go usually it's a feeling of doubt usually it's a feeling of being lost usually it's like a resistance to seeing like I'm resisting the thing that I know I need to do. And so I think if I talk to someone, they're going to help me push past that resistance or something or tell me I don't have to or something. But um, it's been pretty interesting. The last two times she's basically said the same thing to me. She's like, I don't know why you're calling on me. She's like, you are close enough in the work that you've done to do what I'm doing now. So you can personally go ahead and reach out to these spirits and they will tell you what you need to know. You don't need to come to me. Um, But there's that like lack of confidence that I really can do that. 
Well, exactly. You know, we want, we want to know that we're going to be taken care of. But the more that you do this work and you understand that, that, that you're exactly where you need to be, there is no time and space that you are taken care of, then why is it that we need someone outside of ourselves to tell us that? Right? Right. Interesting thoughts. It's an interesting conversation, you know? We, we get, um, you know, it really is important that we're mindful of that because it's easy to get, you know, uh, you know enamored with the glamour of, you know, uh, the veil lifting. And yet, I love, again, the Course just says, oh, no one has, no one, nobody's special in that regard. It, you know, it's what Jesus preached. Uh, my father through me, this and more shall you do. This is what, you know, when the veil of separation begins to lift, then we have experiences of connectivity. And it's within all of us. It's within all of us because we're all one. And it said, God doesn't play favorites. God does not play favorites. God's not, in, God's not bestowing certain, you know, magical powers onto other people. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's really, um, it's valuable to know. I think it's, I mean, I think it's kind of, I mean, when it does happen, like, you have to think it's kind of cool. It's a cool thing. Um, but I I think for me, like, I used to go because I didn't know that the power was within me. I still had that belief in separation. So some of the times I was looking for comfort, some assurance that it, things were going to be okay. But now it's like I, you know, I still, you know, know that people are, are more open sometimes in that sense and have that ability. And like in the course says, it could be used for good. If they don't use it for anything, what what does it matter? So when I began to meditate and I didn't know that you could, that sometimes you could see things or, you know, light and stuff like that. Uh, the first time, I don't know what it was, but um, the teacher that I had at the time was like, he put it really clear, like, don't get stuck on whatever you see because God is so much more than that. So it's like beyond our understanding. So the few times that I have had some experiences, I know, I mean, even though I think it's pretty cool, whatever is happening, I know that it's so much more that, than what I'm looking at and not to get stuck on that particular experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, listen, y'all, if, Tomorrow, you know, I started having premonitions of the future and they were unfolding exactly as I saw them. I probably have to have a moment of, I'm like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, I mean, but it's that idea, too, of, you know, being mindful to see where are we trying to make it special because that's when the ego is, is, is taking grip, you know what I mean, and affirming to us that, you know, this makes you, because our specialness separates us more from the collective, you know, when we find those things that make us, this is mine, this is what makes me better than, worse than, more significant to, more valuable than, it's that idea that, um, you know, the ego takes a hold of. But I ain't going to lie and not say that it ain't going to be kind of cool, you know. But um, I stopped going to psychics a few years ago because, I would go regularly, um, 
And I say, I just want confirmation. I want confirmation. But what I was really looking for was confirmation that I was going to get what I wanted. You know what I mean? And it didn't necessarily make me any happier. And um, and I, I, I got clearer, you know, I, I became clear that I was like, okay, like I, I get to decide, you know, what direction it's going to go through, through the practice of spiritual law, mindfully using spiritual law. And I found so much more freedom and productivity in that practice, you know, in my own empowered practice. And um, I, I didn't become necessarily dependent on an outside source to confirm for me what I already knew. I began to trust myself. And again, I think if it's helpful, do it, you know, you know, get that confirmation, do what, you know, ever you feel is supporting you and do it until it doesn't support you anymore. That's simple. Any closing thoughts? The next section, can God be reached directly, is a very important section. And so I'm going to invite everyone to read it and then write um, a paragraph on your takeaway, your thoughts on it, and share it in the Facebook group. And I'm going to invite you to do that this weekend before Monday, okay? So if you want to do it right after class, it's, you know, four paragraphs. Uh, read it, think about it, and then share it in the Facebook group. And I'll comment on your shares. So let's conclude today in prayer. And let's just mindfully send waves and waves of love and light out to the women who are marching in Washington, D.C. and in... Um, all over. I mean, they're all over. There's Seattle, Denver, Los Angeles, uh, Chicago. Uh, it's all over. It's really beautiful. Uh, they're expecting over 500,000 women in Washington, D.C. alone, which I think is really extraordinary. So uh, all these beautiful examples um, of power and love and light being um, that are just bursting, blossoming all over I just really um, send waves of love and light into our friends that are marching, that are standing there. Reverend Jennifer Hadley is in D.C. this uh, today. So I'm just surrounding her with love and knowing that angels are all around. And we just, um, you know, send love and light to our sisters that are going to be at the She Spot tonight at uh, Inspire. And uh, knowing that, um, you know, real beautiful, transformative conversations are happening and how grateful we are to know that that is so. And in grace and gratitude, we release this word, sharing all the healing benefits of this day, of our conversation, of all the work we do, of all the good and uh, love that's being generated through each and every one of our lives. We share this, this gratitude with everyone because we're one with them. And so it is. Amen. All right, my beloveds, go forward. Have a beautiful day. I love you all, and I look forward to connecting with you real soon. Take care. Ciao. Bye, everybody.